Hey, you found us. It's the Ben and Matt Sportscast. I'm Ben Glicksman alongside my tag team partner, Matt Story. And Matt, the Fighting Hurleys won again. They did. They did. It was uh, a bit of a bumpy start. Uh, what, 13 nothing or something like that to start the game? Um, kind of like the last game, but, uh, you know, at home and against a worse opponent, a little easier to come back from that. And at the end, it was uh, another nice, solid victory. They stretched the lead against Vandy in the second half to as much as 20, uh, wound up still winning by double figures, still cracking uh, the 70-point barrier. Yeah. Um, you know, not a whole lot of complaints really about how the team executed after the first five minutes. I mean, they were shut out for the first five minutes, and then for the yeah. next 35, they put on a clinic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the beginning of the second half was uh, where they, you know, created separation. They, you know, finally got their first lead of the game at the very end of the first half. And, uh, and then, you know, within, uh, I believe it was within about four or five minutes of the second half, we're up by, you know, 13, 15 points. So, um, you know, at that point they had the separation they needed and they just kind of kept it around that area for the rest of the half. And yeah, you know, a solid win against a team that, that isn't that great, I guess. Um, you know, they, their, their record certainly isn't very good so far. We'll see how they are in the SEC, but, uh, you know, still an SEC opponent that was in the tournament last year. Um, so, you know, another solid win in the bank, and you're now officially one-third of the way into the season, and you still don't have a loss, so that's not so bad. Yeah, it's another Power 5 victory as well. I mean, yeah. you know, these yeah. are, it's it's all just things where, you know, I don't think Vandy's going to be a tournament team. Certainly their record doesn't indicate yeah. that they will, but it's another team that, you know, at the start of the year, if we were a bubble team, you would right. say, oh, this is a good-looking win to have. Well, yeah, now now yeah, we've got you know, six I mean, of those. Exactly, yeah. I mean, when you, you go back and look at how the, you know, how we looked at the schedule going into, you know, the start of November when the season was right around the corner. Uh, you know, you had, you had obviously the Kansas game being the one that stood out, but you had the K-State game. You had a potential game against Xavier, which did end up coming to fruition because we won the K-State game. You had the San Diego State game. You had the Vandy game. Um, you know, so having all those in the bank is is pretty solid. Uh, I certainly would not have expanded St. John's. I guess you had that one too. Um, you know, so I think realistically you and I would have probably taken 7-3 and three or 8-2 at this point um, and not complained too much, but... And it was even better. And, you know, you just keep keep pressing. Now you got a couple of what look like, you know, cupcake games in the next five days, which is good because, you know, it, it's it's Christmas time. School's out. Finals are done. Uh, you know, guys are kind of looking ahead to getting that holiday break. So this is why you schedule those cupcakes now because you can kind of hopefully get through it at half speed. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, – you know, you've got two games still to go before Christmas – and there's no one around. These, you know, right. these kids are still living in the dorms. Right. But this is the uh, time of year where last year you had the Bobby Hurley Jolly AF shirt uh, because <laughs> because all the kids are just around him because there's no one else there. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's it's a uh, you know these are the games we talked about that you know um, last week when we talked like you know that last game before Christmas is just traditionally kind of a a lazy sloppy effort it'd be nice if it's not you know and i i think if i what's the order of the games do we play it's pacific then and then pacific or vice versa i think it's pacific uh no it's longwood then pacific i believe that's what i thought 
Now, I know absolutely nothing about Longwood. Couldn't tell you. Are they even Division One? I'm not sure. I, I don't know where they are. I don't know anything about the school. Yeah. I'm going to quickly look them up and see who they play. But the point is, you don't lose to this team. You don't lose to Pacific. They are in the Big South, okay. And they are 3-8 and overall. So that is a game you should be able to get through uh, at even less than half speed, hopefully. Uh, And then Pacific is, is, you know, a little bit more recognizable brand, but a 5-7 and team that isn't certainly that tough. Um, So, yeah, these are games we we should – get through and you just you know these are games where you just want to play okay and get through them and not have anything bad happen injuries being the number one thing to come to mind you know just just keep guys healthy and let's let's get to that game you know in tucson to open pac-12 play unscathed hopefully yeah and that is you know something that i didn't think either of us would have uh ever expected in our wildest dreams that we would be undefeated going into tucson no Certainly not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it's it's uh, it'll be a big game. Unfortunately uh, for me, it's on Pac-12 Network, so I won't be watching it. Uh, maybe try to watch it on the iPad, I guess, like I did some of those football games. But uh, yeah, it'll be fun. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that will be a good atmosphere. Uh, you know, some begrudging respect coming from the from the two Sonans right now. Um, I think, you know, probably in the hopes that they can then laugh at us later when, you know, things fall apart and they can say, see, you weren't really big time. And we'll see. Time will tell if we are or not. Yeah. I'd rather be here than in in the other position. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's a it's a nice uh, win today and, you know, another one, another one down. And, you know, if you if you keep that tracker toward, you know. If you look at 20 to 22 wins probably being tournament-bound, and I, again, I, I think we should have higher goals than simply just sneaking into the tournament. But nonetheless, uh, getting into the tournament is, should be our first goal this year. You know, we're, we're about halfway there already, so that's, that's a good start. Mm-hmm. Now, we go from the sublime, that is ASU basketball, to the ridiculous, that is ASU football. Isn't that uh, funny? I mean, what a what a turn of events. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, before we do fully transition, let's remember around the time I believe that we had just beaten Washington and Utah, and we were playing for the Pac-12 South lead. Uh, the basketball team had to go to overtime to beat a Division II school in an exhibition game, and I didn't think we'd be here less than two months later. But here we are. Yeah, it's really quite something. Things have turned around quickly. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, football continues to uh, be newsworthy for some wrong reasons. So the new leadership model uh, involved hiring a CEO head coach, which is what they were doing last year. So yeah. it's not new, but we'll call right. it new. Uh, <laughs> and then that that CEO head coach would oversee the coordinators who were already in place uh, yeah. Because we don't need to have Manny Wilkins on his fourth offensive coordinator in as many years, yeah. and the defense has made strides, et cetera, et cetera. And in the last ten days, Phil Bennett has decided it's best for him and his family if he steps away from coaching yeah. at ASU, which you and I talked about and said, you know, that's not that bad. You know, no. Herm is an, a defensive guy; he probably wants to bring in his people. It turns right. out those people are retread coaches from programs that aren't uh, doing that great defensively. But it's okay because we've promoted Billy Napier. He's now the 
uh, associate head coach and offensive coordinator. He gets a raise. The offense has looked good under him. He, he's not in the Norvell system, but he's turned Norvell's players into productive guys. And Billy Napier's the head coach of he's University of Louisiana Lafayette now. <laughs> so Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, you know, look, I, I'll say this right off the bat. Um, the guy had an opportunity to get a head coaching job, and there are only 120-some in the country, um, at, you know, at this level. And so you can't really begrudge him that opportunity, but it's a another kind of egg on your face look when you really, you know, basically build around this guy. You know, you, you kind of build him up to be the second coming. Um, and less than you know, two weeks after the hires made, his promotion is made. He's gone. Uh, that's that's a tough pill to swallow. And you know, they they move quickly to replace him with Rob Likens, who you know, uh, I'll give the ASU PR machine credit they're, they're moving into full force to tell us how great rob likens is he's so energetic he's he's you know blah 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 and maybe he is um but you know nonetheless you kind of built around this billy napier is going to keep things together offensively and now he's gone and that's a tough pill to swallow yeah my issue is not with billy napier he got this job he huh. took the job it was strange when we had Norvell and he passed on these opportunities waiting for something better because you never know. um, And this has been a bit of a renaissance for Billy Napier this season after, you know, being a young offensive coordinator somewhere and immediately getting canned and then having to basically restart and and rebuild. And you don't get that many opportunities. If he came back under Herm next year and we went four and eight. Yep. uh, That opportunity is not there for him next year. No, I, I agree. Yeah, I mean, he, he took advantage when it was there, and I'm with you. You know, uh, like, I, I can't blame him for that. Um, but, yeah, I, I think, well, you tell me who your issue's with, and mine probably is the same. Well, my my first issue is with Ray Anderson and the way he's handled this. I, I think it's bad. Yeah. Um, I, I think that you need to ha- you need to have better control over – the narrative and over the plan because right now you seem like a fool. And I don't think that that is, I think seems like might be too passive. You, you might just be a fool. Um, Yeah. I mean, you know, that's certainly the, uh, you can connect the dots and, and, you know, it's not hard to, to make that the narrative. Um, you know, I wouldn't disagree with you. I, I think I said this, you know, in the last couple times we talked, and now even more so. You know, it's it, Ray Anderson is kind of carrying himself with this "I know something you don't know" vibe, and he's continuing to do that. Now, I don't look. I don't expect you. I mean, it's it's kind of like when a you know coach comes out and says, you know, we're going to win with our backup quarterback. We're confident in it. Do you really expect him to come out and say we are in deep trouble? We're going down the drain because our starters hurt. So I don't expect Ray Anderson to say, boy, this is a disaster that Billy Napier left. But he's still carrying himself with that swagger, that bravado of, I know something you don't know. And he better. Um, because there are going to be a lot of people, fans and media alike, who are waiting to snicker at him if things don't work out. Well, let's talk about our conspiracy theories of this morning. Um <laughs> So via text this morning when we were sort of plotting out things to talk about and catching up on ASU news, uh, Marvin Lewis announced that he was going to explore other opportunities 
um, instead of stay with the Bengals for year 18, which feels a lot like every time a coach decides to explore other opportunities, it's because he's about to not have the current opportunity yeah. anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the question then becomes, does he come to ASU? Because he's a uh, former Ray Anderson client, he and he's a defensive he mind. And I mean, it, it, it seems, as I said to you this morning, it's one of those things that seems sort of foolish to say. This is a guy who's been an NFL coach for, you know, a decade and a half. Um, he's going to have, even if it's not another head coaching job, he'll have opportunities in the NFL. He, he know, you know, whether it's playing, you know, defensive coordinator. I know there's been talk that he may want to get into a front office role because he's basically been a de facto front office role for the Bengals most of his time there. Um, but you know, nothing about this process has been conventional. And he does have connections to Ray Anderson. Um, and Ray Anderson has made it a big thing that basically we want to become this, you know, preparation for the NFL. Well, you know, the, I guess the, the logical way to do that is to bring in a lot of former NFL people and say you're going to become this NFL factory. That's easier said than done. Um, but, I, you know, I haven't heard it anywhere. Legit, I haven't heard anybody report it. But I, I'm just, I mean, sort of jokingly but not completely jokingly connecting the dots and thinking – it makes some sense, you know. Would they would they go after him to bring him in here and have him be the defensive coordinator? Wouldn't shock me. Uh, he also represented Hugh Jackson at one point. So when mm-hmm. when the Browns fire Hugh Jackson, yeah, uh, and you Leslie Frazier, who you know uh, now the bank the Bills are you know playoff team right now. Um, he's the defensive coordinator there, but yeah, I mean he's got a lot of ties to former NFL coaches. Uh, you know, so it, yeah, it's it's not hard to think that there's going to be more of them. Uh, I mean, I, I think that's kind of a logical thing to, to draw. Uh, will they be interested? I don't know, but you know, if, if you're going to you know reunite the band, um, you know, I guess it kind of feels like that's the way they're trying to go. I mean, it certainly is not surprising in a vacuum that Ray Anderson wants to bring in his guys. What is surprising is his guys all, all seem to be uh, much older coaches. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And not uh, – I don't know. I mean I just don't – I don't have a good handle on this and it's kind of terrifying because the, the recruiting signing period starts in three days, yeah. the early period. Yeah. I don't know that we'll get a guy to sign now. I would be surprised. I would be surprised if we did. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the guys you're getting this year, not even just this period of time, but this year, are going to be mostly guys who simply want to go to ASU, um, which means they probably don't have a lot of competitive offers. I mean, that's that's not to slight, but you know, if you're a if you're a premier recruit, you've got offers from schools that are at least at the caliber of ASU, if not better, and you're going to have a little more certainty of who you're going to be playing for at those schools. Right now, you couldn't have much more uncertainty. Than we have. I mean, we have, I think, two assistant coaches in place, uh, Rob Likens and John Simon. That's it. And and so, you know, you're getting a lot of speculative stuff. And that's, it's hard. I mean, you know, you always say kids should pick the school based on the school and not who they're going to play for. But that's not true. But it's not true. I mean, you're going to pick based on relationships that you build. And our coaching staff, you know, our head coach has had, no time to build relationships. He hasn't been doing this. So the notion that he's going to hit the ground running and start recruiting like a madman 
it's just faulty to me. I just don't think well, it can happen. Well, and he just didn't do it. I mean, straight up being back at ESPN for that week. Right. In right. in light of this new development with Billy Napier and what I assume right. is Rob Sale leaving with him, yeah, uh, is devastating because yeah. you didn't go cement relationships for a no. week, and the guys who you are gonna, you know, who you sent out there to do it, Phil Bennett and Billy Napier are gone yeah. now. Are gone now. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, I, I you know one of the first things I said to you when the news was official about Napier was, you know, I, I think we almost have to chalk up this 2018 recruiting class as a waste. And I was already kind of halfway there because, as I've said, you know, whenever you change coaches, it's hard. Um, but especially given the circumstances of our coaching change, because this isn't a guy who we're bringing in from another school who can say, well, you know, I recruited you here. I like you. You're my kind of player. Come with me. He hasn't done that. Uh, so, you know, there's no – there's no basis he's got. He's not been in living rooms. He's not talked to parents. He's not had relationships with high school coaches who would say, you know, you should go play for this guy. He's a good guy. I trust him. Nobody knows him. So, you know, it's just it's going to be next to impossible to put together a good class this year. Uh, it, it just is. And that means next year there really is a lot of heat on because you can't have two bad classes in a row. Otherwise, you end up fired. Yeah. And... You know, at least the buyout will be cheaper. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know. You know, again, this this whole thing is, is really requiring a lot of just blind faith that, you know, just kind of uh, close your eyes uh, and, you know, throw the dart and hope it lands in the bullseye. And, and, you know, most of the time when you do that, you end up, you know, hitting a patron in the bar and they, you know, <laughs> sue you for assault. Um and that's kind of just how this feels. But maybe, maybe, uh, maybe we'll hit a bullseye. Maybe we'll have that one lucky throw, and and you know we'll think, man, old Ray Anderson, he knew what he was doing when none of us thought he did. Yeah. Well, and and he will have an "I told you so" moment to everyone if he that would. happens. He would. Yeah. And, and you know, yeah. As as I said, there's going to be a lot of people waiting to say that to him because people don't like when I mean, media doesn't like it, and quite honestly, fans don't like it. When, you know, authority figures basically act like they are, they've got some trick up their sleeve that's going to, you know, they're going to figure it out. Media certainly doesn't like it. They don't like to be told, hey, I'm smarter than you. And essentially, that's what he's doing. Maybe not in so many words, but he is. So, yeah, people will be waiting with, you know, their pitchforks out, as I said before, um, to say, you know, we told you this was idiotic. What were you thinking? Um, But, you know what, if it works out, he can... He can do the opposite. He can say, I told you. I told you all. I knew what I was doing. I mean, in wrestling parlance, Ray Anderson's a heel. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's uh, not bad analysis at all. No, I mean, so, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. And it's, it's a very um, interesting dichotomy because he should be right now reveling in the fact that his basketball hire looks great. Um, but instead that's, you know, it's kind of like, you know, he's doing so much with football that it rubbed people the wrong way that even though people are excited by what's going on with basketball, they're not giving him any of the credit and, you know, we're we're kind of forgetting that he's the one who brought in Bobby Hurley because we're all saying, what in God's name are you doing with football? Yeah. And and Bobby Hurley is a face right now. I mean, everybody loves Bobby Hurley. Everybody wants a piece of Bobby Hurley. There was That's a story right. in the New York Times Sunday sports section about ASU 
you know, ESPN's running stories about ASU. It's there's a lot of things on the basketball program to like and a lot of momentum to build, but it's on the heels of a you know an equal amount of coverage of football disarray. I know, I know. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just it's uh it's interesting, you know, and and uh, we'll see how it goes. I mean, you know, ultimately that's what we're gonna we're gonna figure it out eventually. You know, um, is this right or is it wrong? All this chatter will just be chatter one way or the other. It'll, it'll prove to be right or it'll prove to be wrong, but we'll still have results to base it on. Um, but, yeah, it's it's kind of hard to feel great about it. And, you know, I, I think the one thing I keep thinking as all this happens is, like, how inextricably linked all this is with the original decision to fire Todd Grant. You know, I feel like he fired Todd Grant to bring in Herm Edwards. He didn't fire Todd Grant thinking, I need to get a new coach. Let's find the best guy. He had already made up his mind, it seems like. And so we'll judge whether or not it was the right move to even fire Todd Graham. I think that's entirely accurate. I, I, he absolutely had Herm Edwards in mind. Yeah. It, it, there was no – the media speculated on someone, but there was never an official report out of anywhere that yeah. someone even got a meeting. I don't think there was any legitimacy to that. I think that was just, you know, people connecting dots that, you know, he had been interested in ASU before and he was going to be available. Um, but yeah, I mean, that kind of died very quickly, you know, within, within basically 12 hours of, you know, those reports picking up, they were off the table. It seemed like, and there was never anybody else legitimately connected to the job. Um, now maybe he did talk to other people as he says, and we just don't know it. You know, maybe the, the media got, you know, got beat on that one i don't know um but it doesn't seem like it and where i where i get to that is like i've always said to you the decision to fire dirk was the right decision they just made the wrong decision to replace him i don't think you can say that in this scenario it won't be that way because if herm fails you're gonna say they should have just probably stuck with todd graham he was doing okay he wasn't lighting the world on fire but he wasn't a disaster either yeah yeah well, let's talk about the team that didn't light the world on fire. We we never did a recap of the 2017 season with our highs, lows, <laughs> player of the year thoughts, right. things like that. So let's sort of walk through. Um, overall, I think uh, seven and five season is uh, a C plus. You know, yeah, and, yeah, not bad. I mean, it, you know, it, there were a lot of good things about this season, and that's really. You know um, where this this you know fact that we're talking about this gen- you know the genesis of it. I texted you this yesterday because I was thinking you know the season had some highlights. Beating Washington was obviously a significant moment for the program. Winning at Utah in the way we did, you know, beating beating anybody on the road and then to beat a, a solid team in dominant fashion. You know, getting the Oregon losing streak over, finally beating them. Beating Arizona obviously is always a good thing. You know. This, there were, there were some good moments about this season and, and, you know, some positive things to take from it. I think the highlight for me of the year is the Washington win. And I was, yeah. and, and I think that was an easy call. The harder call for me is the low point. And yeah. the, obviously the grade is out because the low point may well be the firing of Graham. But, <laughs> but I think game-wise, the low point was halftime of the Texas Tech game. That that was the low point. That's probably now. I would agree with you on that. Um, now, I guess I was thinking at, of it from sort of a different perspective, as in like the most dispiriting loss was UCLA. 
um, because we should have won that game. We were we were five and four, and you look at then the fact that we won the two after. If we win that game, we're eight and four. We finished seven and two in the conference. It's a it's a different feeling, and quite honestly, I'm not sure Todd Grant gets fired if we win that game. It's really hard to fire a coach who goes seven and two in the conference. He might have done it, but it's it's hard to do. Um, and I think that was the point that maybe the decision might have been solidified when we lost that game because it was very crushing. I think. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, and that loss was a bad loss. That was a team we were better than. It was a game we should have yes. won. Um, it was the only one of the five losses, quite honestly, that I feel like we should have won. San Diego State, you know, yeah, they're they're a Mountain West team, but it's a good Mountain West team, and we weren't we weren't the same team at the beginning of the year that we were by the second half of the year. Same could be said for Texas Tech. We were on the road. Um, we battled back in that game. You know, Stanford and USC, they were the representatives in the Pac-12 title game. They were better than us. The UCLA game is the one I can look at and say, we should have won that game and we let it get away. Yeah, that's I agree. Um, what did you think for your offensive – I think offensive player of the year is not an easy call. It's not. I mean, I think because of the way the year ended, I'd probably go with Demario Richard because he was so instrumental in that – closing stretch where we did win three out of four he had a hundred yards plus in all four of those games um you know but Nikhil Harry certainly is a reasonable choice if you want to make that I, you know it's very hard to argue against that because he was good all year and that's kind of where I land too I, I wound up picking Richard um because he really closed strong but yeah. Harry was the consistent piece of the offense Throughout the season. He was, and, yeah. He was very good. And, you know, with revolving supporting cast at receiver, it seemed like every week, you know, guys were either injured or, or just, you know, Frank Darby went from being a key player to barely playing to being a key player again at the end. You know, Humphrey and Newsom both had injuries that kept them out extended periods of time. Um, you know, Harry was the guy who kind of every week was, was pretty good. Um, had some really great games, you know, some highlight plays. Uh, you know, and and is clearly you know with Richard and Balaj both gone, the you know centerpiece of this offense going forward for next year. Uh, he's probably only here one more year based on his talent, but will be a big part of what we do next year. I think. I think not just based on his talent, but based on the disarray that surrounded us. True. I mean, true. I yeah. yeah. I, I am surprised to hear that Karan Crump is seeking an extra year. I'm surprised to hear that Christian Sam is. Mm-hmm. Likely to come back. Coming back. I you know, especially since he graduated, he would make a lot of sense to be a grad transfer. And I still won't rule it out till you know we get to spring and he's still here. Oh yeah, I mean, I believe he's from Texas. I could see him yeah. wanting to play back there. Um, yeah. He could, you know, I, I don't think he could start on a high quality SEC defense, but he could contribute really anywhere in the country. He could. I mean, he could. He could play for Texas or. You know, Texas Tech, TCU, uh, you know, the Big 12, which is not a bastion of great defense. I think he could be a starter for those teams if he wanted to go back to that state um, or somewhere in that conference. You know, Oklahoma or Oklahoma State, you know, it would, it would make sense. He's a good player. Um, yeah, I mean, Nikhil Harry would be as good as gone if he could go, I'm sure. If the rules were different and he was eligible to go after two years, he would be gone. And, you know, quite honestly, for a guy like him, it, it you know, brings to light why it kind of, you know, 
sucks that guys can't go because he's physically ready. He could go, um, but he, you know, he doesn't have the opportunity until one more year. So then the last one to me on the guys on the transfer list before we move on to a different yeah. topic since we got here fast is Brady White graduated. Yeah. Um, Brady White should leave. And I don't, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, yeah. Brady White's a good quarterback who's got a couple yeah. years of eligibility. I think At if he wants it, if he gets, I mean, he could he could theoretically get a a sixth year because of this year. You know, he missed this entire year due to injury reasons. So he's only played you know one season and not even that full season, but he's only played in one year. Um, so yeah, I mean, he's a very interesting. If you're, you know, if you're on the transfer market at QB, I mean, it's kind of like the NC State quarterback who we're going to see, you know, in, in a couple weeks here. Um, he was a grad transfer from Boise State who had multiple years of eligibility, made him attractive. We were one of the teams that was interested in him, and yeah, I mean, Brady White would would I think garner some interest if he does want to, you know, put his services out there. I I will say this: I could see Billy Napier making a run at trying to get him to go. To, Possibly, yeah. It seemed like they really liked him, and and that's the one thing I'd say for him is, you know, I could see him staying for the spring, and kind of feeling like, all right, you know, what chance do I have to win this job? I mean, now from the public statements that have been made, it appears that you know Herb and Ray Anderson think that Manny Wilkins is, you know, Joe Montana, and I'm not sure why. I, I like Manny. Manny's a solid quarterback, but the, you know, the written statements about, you know our offense led by excellent senior quarterback, Manny Wilkins. And I'm like, eh, excellent. I'm not sure I want to go that far. Good player. Um, I'd like to open up this job and see what other guys might be able to do. Yeah. I mean, I certainly would be curious to see how the battle shapes up with DSC, Manny, yeah. Brady White, Blake Barnett. With, yeah. with Blake the- Barnett's a forgotten man in this whole thing. You know, <laughs> boy, I mean, you almost forget he's on the roster. He's a guy that I would not be. I don't think he graduated. Um, but, you know, boy, if, you, if you're him, I mean, now the, the question there becomes, you know, you only got two years of eligibility left. Do you want to sit out one of those years? But he could be a prime, you know, FCS transfer or something like that. If he wants to try to go play somewhere for a couple of years, you know, where they might, you know, grant him the job and, and he could throw it around a lot. I could see him leaving, too. Yeah, I mean, I could see that, or I could see him uh, being the most diligent spring and summer student you've ever seen. Yes, to get eligible right away. Yeah, yeah. I don't think he could pull off a second NCAA waiver to be eligible to play right away. I could be wrong. Uh, he's already gotten one. Maybe he's a heck of an you know arguer in front of the NCAA. But uh, yeah, I, I think uh, it'll be interesting. I mean, certainly, I don't think Manny's going anywhere. He could leave too. He's a you know he's a graduate, but boy, I mean, where else are they going to roll out the red carpet for Manny Wilkins like we're rolling out for him right now? So makes no sense for him to leave. The other guys are a little bit more uncertain. Yeah, well, Manny, why would you leave? They're handing you the job. Mm-hmm. You know, not only handing it to you, but you know, talking you up like like you're you know Jake Plummer. Um, and I hope he has a senior year like Jake Plummer's. Uh, you know, he's been a, a solid quarterback. Again, I don't mean to knock the guy. You know, he's been kind of a Taylor Kelly-esque quarterback without the team around him to win as many games. Um, but, you know, excellent. And mentioning him in the press conference when you're talking about hiring a new coach, like it kind of has to feel like we've got, you know, an all-American quarterback. He hasn't been at that level. 
you know, he's got one more year to shut me up. He hasn't been an all Pac-12 quarterback. He wasn't no. anywhere near no, your no, or no. my – I mean, he wasn't anywhere near your or my pick for Offensive Player of the Year. Um, no, no. I mean, he was solid. And, and you know, I do – I should say, because at one point this year, I think early in the year we talked, you know, how many games do you think Manny will start? Does he start all 12? He did. You know, and I, I thought I thought he would get hurt, quite honestly. I, you know, I thought just with our shaky offensive line and his style, he would get injured. But he did start all 12. He's going to make it 13, you know, unless anything freak happens, I guess, before the Sun Bowl. So, you know, he was dependable. He was available. Um, he didn't turn the ball over much. He made some very, you know, he won some big games. You know, I, he had a nice year. But no, I mean, was he even in the top half of the conference in quarterbacks? I don't think so. You got Rosen, you got Darnold, you got Justin Herbert, you got Khalil Tate. Now, Browning. Both of them played, played, you know, two-thirds of the year. Browning, Luke Falk. I mean, there's six right there uh, that I would take over Manny Wilkins. So, no. I mean, he was solid. But, you know, the, the uh, fawning over him by the administration is a little surprising to me. All right. So – Let's flip to the other side of the ball. Defensive player of the year, I think, is much more wide open for the team. It is. It um, is. Obviously, the guy who got the most credit in postseason accolades was Chase Lucas at yeah, corner. Who would not be my pick. No. Uh, I mean, he had a nice year, but would not be in my top three, I don't think. I think it's interesting because it speaks to he is good for the position compared to others at the position. Yes. But the team really needed Wicker, Smallwood, mm-hmm. and Sam and Calhoun. Yeah. As yeah. much or more than they needed him. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and to me, and I don't know what your thought is, I mean, when I'm picking the best defensive player this year, to me it's the two linebackers. I mean, that's where it came down to for me with Sam and Calhoun. Uh, you know, you could other guys were solid, but I think it was at the end of the year. That, I mean, halfway through the year, you could have made a good case for Alani Latu, but he got banged up and and didn't play as much the second half of the year. Um, so, uh, to me, those two guys were the the best players on our defense consistently all year. I agree. I ultimately am picking Sam just because he was flying all over with the number of tackles, yeah. but. But I will say this about Calhoun. He came in as a guy who was a, a thumper, run-stuffer, blitzer, yeah. and he became a decent guy in pass coverage. He did. He and, did. And, yeah. and never lost the ability to get after the quarterback or to help with the run. Yeah. And, you know, you talked about – I said this about you know, Manny Wilkins. Very durable. Um, you know, I, I don't know how many games he missed due to injury his whole career. None this year. I know that. Um, you know, he left the Arizona game injured, tried to come back in. Uh, you know, even though he was clearly injured, uh, you know, so a, a guy who was always out there, which, you know, is huge. I mean, you know, some guys just have bad luck, but, you know, it's that old cliche uh, availability is a big part of ability. And he, he was always available. Yeah. But ultimately, I, I think you have to give it to Christian Sam because just so too. volume, you know, led the team in tackles pretty much every yeah. game and obviously for yeah. the whole season among the leaders in the conference and tackles. And really, you know, sparked what I, you know, to the extent that there was a defensive renaissance this year, it, yeah. it's a, a lot on the return of Christian Sam. With him being back, yeah, made a huge difference. Yeah, I mean, you saw how important he was not having him last year. Now, there were other things that were different. You know, our, our secondary was a little more stable. 
uh, you know, and, and we were better coached, I think, as well on defense. But, yeah, you know, you saw having him gone all but basically, what, the first half of last year's opener. Uh, you know, he got hurt and never played again. And then this year, to have him out there for every single game, it made a big difference. Yeah, absolutely it did. So, yeah, it was it was a solid year defensively. Uh, I mean, statistically, it really wasn't. It was better uh, than it was last year. But as I said, you know, it, it's hard to get much worse. Um, well, it's almost different. it's almost that you have the two outlier games, Washington and Utah, yeah. And, yeah. and that sort of skews so, everything much better than right, right. They do, and and you know, you can't take those away. I mean, you know, those were two very impressive performances, um, albeit neither team had a very explosive offense. But nonetheless, you know, uh, you know, Washington is a weird team because. There were a lot of games this year they did score, you know, 35-plus points, but many of those came off of, like, defense. They'd get rolling. They weren't really a great offense, and Utah was, was not a great offense at all. Um, but still, you know, two good, two, you know, winning teams, Utah in 6-6. Six and six. Washington, you know, is a New Year's 6 team that we shut down. Um, you know, so Im- impressive. Um, you know, and, and some other games where they rose to the occasion late. Colorado, Arizona come to mind. Um, you know, not great all game, but in the fourth quarter, second half, very good and helped us come back and win both of those games when we were down, you know, double digits in both of those at, at one point in the second half. Very true. Um, I, you know, when I think about the freshman class, you know, red shirt and true freshman, I think it's really yeah. Brandon Reese and, uh, yeah, Chase Lucas great. are probably yeah. the two. Yeah. Reese was very good. Um, you know, he, he didn't. You know, I know there was, you know, kind of almost tongue-in-cheek talk like, oh, he can win the Groza. He, he wasn't that good, but he was good. Uh, you know, showed a big leg, uh, consistent, you know, uh, was very good on kickoffs, which, you know, was something we weren't sure how he'd be. Did very well on that. Um, you know, yeah, very solid and, and gives you a, a good, you know, piece that you hope will continue to be good for the next three years. Um, and, yeah, Chase Lucas was good, you know, for a guy who had never played defense before you know basically you know at least in games he stepped in and did very well um so yeah you know a solid year um you know i'm trying to trying to think how many other freshmen we play i mean you know benjamin flashed he didn't get a lot of playing time um but when he played he was impressive and we'll see a lot more of him starting next year you you'd expect yeah um Curtis Hodges had Curtis Hodges with you know had a touchdown catch and had you know one block, two block punts yeah that, that turned games both of them um, you know so uh, uh, just different on the size that give you know his touchdown catch was also just you know throw the ball up to him and six seven guy make a play yeah um, you know so it gives you a little hope and, and the receiver core quite on I mean that's a, that's a good group coming back we we don't lose a single guy unless you know we have an unexpected departure but you know Harry's back. Harvey's back, Humphrey's back, Newsom's back, Kyle Williams, Frank Darby, Curtis Hodges. I mean, that's a pretty loaded group going into 2018. So gives you a little bit of hope for what this offense hopefully can be. One last freshman who's worth mentioning in sort of the guys who did something and something to look ahead to is uh, Evan Fields. You know, when he yeah. moved into the secondary, he got some reps that I think will prove True. meaningful moving forward. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean – there were a few others that, you know, we talked about some of those red shirts burned that guys did, you know, Alex Perry, uh, Traylon Smith, you know, guys who didn't really get a lot of meaningful snaps. So, you know, you'd, you'd like to, you'd almost prefer they were red shirt freshmen than sophomores, but 
you know, you, you hope to see more of them next year. Um, you know, it wasn't a bad class, uh, but obviously, as, as you'd expect after one year, too early to judge. Some good contributions, and you hope for a lot more the next two to three years. Yeah. Um, is there any other final thought on the season that you have? Uh, I mean, I guess you just, you know, you, you tie a bow around it in the sense that, you know, what the, the overall theme of the season from before the year started and, and the roller coaster we rode it throughout the year was would Todd Graham keep his job? And ultimately the answer was no. Um, and I don't know if that was the right decision. And I think time will tell on, on how I feel about that. Um, you know, in some ways I can make good arguments that it was, we, you know, we went seven and five this year, but we never won more than two games in a row. And it's hard to be a really good team when you can't win more than two games in a row. Same thing happened in 2015, six and six, never won more than two in a row. You know, you're, you're going to be average when that's the case. Um, but then at the same time, I think, you know, things did improve this year. And I think one of the biggest things I, I thought about this yesterday, I don't know if you had the same impression when Dirk got fired and when Dennis Erickson got fired, it felt like they were happy to be fired. Their time had come and gone. They were ready to be done. Todd Graham wanted to be here. He wanted to stay. He wanted to keep doing this. And a lot of people wanted him to stay. And so there's a feeling for me that, like, did we make the right decision? And I debated it all year, and I'm still debating it. I'm in the same boat as you. I think, you know, thematically, the year to me is going to be defined as Todd Graham's last year. Yeah. And also the transition of really eras for ASU yes. football because we are now trusting a new AD and, yeah. and, you know, for as dumb as the press release was and the new leadership <laughs> model sounds, we, we are transitioning into a trying to be a more NFL style, you know, the – Head coach is more like the director yeah. of player operations. Yeah. Um, and then everybody else is just, you know, doing their assigned task, running their department. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know that that works in college. Uh-uh. I'm not sure. It's it's going to be. I mean, you're right. It is a it is a transition. Um, you know, and and to the you know if you're. If you're in the Phoenix area, you can continue to see that transition. You know, the stadium will look entirely different next year from how it looked 10 years ago when we went to school. By the time that stadium opens, there won't be a one seating area that looks like it did when we were there. Uh, and that's kind of weird to think, you know, how, how different it's going to be. And, and then, you know, this approach of like, we're going to do things different. And I'm curious what that means. You know, it's easy to put out a press release saying we're going to come up with this new model. But what does that exactly mean? Um, there were a lot of there was a lot of jargon, and there wasn't a lot of specifics. And and you know, how many ways are there to reinvent the wheel? Like I mean, when it comes down to it, what are you going to do different? How are you going to be that different from what everybody else does, which has been working for decades and decades of how teams run college football programs? What what are you going to do different? I'm curious. Like, is there going to be tangible difference, or is it just going to be words that you say we're going to do things different but in reality you're not really doing anything different so here's my fear and this just occurred to me while i was thinking about the the new leadership model and and the setup 
I'm going to describe a program for you. You have an old head coach yeah. who's probably not that in touch. <laughs> Everything is delegated down to the assistants, the coordinators. Um, the coach is effectively a figurehead. And on some level, you don't even know if he has any awareness uh, of what's yeah. going on in the game. And the modern game may well have passed him by. Mm-hmm. Um, if you strip away the fact that he's been there for decades and is the winningest coach in the history of college football before you know they started taking away wins, yeah, it, isn't this a lot like Bowden or Paterno near the end? Well, with, with, with that case, without all the goodwill, there's a lot of what you're describing that reminds me of the Dennis Erickson years. Uh, an older coach whose you know success was was many many years ago. Um, Dennis had more success than Herm Edwards did. I mean, uh, you know, that different. You know, Dennis was a college coach. Herm Edwards was an NFL coach. But you know, Dennis Erickson was a two-time national champion head coach, and just you know, less than a decade prior to taking the ASU job, had gone you know ten and two and taken Oregon State to the Fiesta Bowl, and yet. A lot of those things you're saying apply to what happened with Dennis Erickson. He seemed out of touch, uh, clueless, um, you know, hired a bunch of his buddies to, you know, basically hang out with him, but they didn't really seem to care that much and and seemed behind the times in how the game was played. Remember the Rich Olsen offenses that we ran, you know, in 2008, 2009, they were pitiful. Um so yeah, it, you know, it reminds me of that as much as as what you said. You could make a good case that it's a little bit like the end for Bowden and Paterno without the you know thirty years and national championships in the rearview mirror. So, do you want to venture a guess at what Dennis Erickson's NFL head coaching record was? Uh, well, it wasn't great, but he wasn't. I mean, he was only with the Forty ers I want to say two years. Um, was it two years? Well, let, and, I'll and, put it this way. They were bad. And then he was with the Seahawks, I think, three or four years. Yeah. Well, okay. Let me, let's do this a different way. Herm Edwards' NFL record was 54 and 74. Yeah. Yeah. Dennis Erickson's was only 40 and 56. It's not <laughs> that much worse. No, it's not. Now, I, you know, now, Herm... Now, look, I mean, Herm Edwards got to the playoffs, what, four times in eight years, which isn't bad. Uh, you know, it's, it's not going to get you into Canton. Um, he never got past the second round. But, you know, four playoff teams in eight years as an NFL coach, not terrible. Um, you know, Dennis, I think in what, was it six years or seven years? No, no. Uh, six. No postseasons. Never got there, yeah. I mean, two awful years with the 49ers. Now, admittedly, the Niners were a dumpster fire of a franchise when he was there. And coaches prior to him and after him had the same kind of success until Harbaugh, you know, finally got them going, you know, a few years later. Um, So that's hard to, you know, hold against him too much. Seahawks was okay. Um, You know, nothing disastrous, but nothing spectacular either. So, yeah, I mean, you're right. That's that's interesting um, that, you know, the overall records. The, the thing with Herm, his bad seasons were really bad, and that's what drags down his record. He had four playoff teams, but I think he had three years of four and 12 or worse, including the last two with the Chiefs. Yeah, it's it, – here's the thing. None of these comparisons make me feel good. No, they don't. Mm-hmm. And as we talked about, you know, the last time, 
Uh, I don't know. If, I don't think we said it on the recording, but we did discuss it. Another comparison that was made recently was uh, uh, Lovey Smith, which doesn't make me feel good. And I like Lovey Smith as an NFL coach. He had some success. He got to a Super Bowl. He got to another NFC title game. Thought he got a bit of a raw deal in Tampa, but he's been a disaster at Illinois. And and you could make that comparison very easily. Guy who you know NFL lifer, you know, coached in college before his NFL coaching career ever began a long time ago, and then he gets this college coaching job, and it's been terrible. Only two years, but really, really, really bad. So that's not a comparison that makes me feel good either. I mean, do you foresee the staff next year having uh, Marvin Lewis, Lovey Smith, Hugh Jackson, and uh, Rob Likens? Well, it, it won't have all of them next year, but I could see it maybe by 2019 or 20. That wouldn't shock me. I think Lovey will be back at Illinois for at least one more year. Um, and it appears, you, I mean, I guess according to the owner, Hugh Jackson's going to stay to coach in Cleveland. I'll believe that when I see it. Um, but they say he's going to. Uh, so, uh, you know, maybe not yet, but I could see it eventually. You know, it, it's one where I could see it getting, you know, even more like this. If things start off bumpy, I think the answer will be let's bring in more guys who know Herm Edwards and know Ray Anderson. Let's just make it make it all of that. Well, they'll throw Rob Likens to the side real fast. You know, if, if things struggle offensively, he'll be gone. And they'll bring in somebody that Herm Edwards coached with in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, at this point, you know, part of the I know something you don't know and I'm the smartest guy in the room um, attitude is you have to double down on it. You can't right. you can't pull the ripcord and say, oh, this was a mistake. This you're you're in now. No, no, you are. You are. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I sent you an article from USA. It was a very well reasoned article that basically said, you know, Ray Anderson is in on this. And really, let's be honest. So is Michael Crow. I mean, when you when you let this guy have the license to make a decision that seems as weird as this and hire somebody who he's had a lifelong relationship with and a business relationship with without really talking to anyone else. Um, you know, you're, you're on the line too. So everybody's on the line here. I mean, you know, if this doesn't work out, a lot of people should be out of jobs, uh, you know, all the way up to the top, probably. Now, I don't know if it'll really take down Crow. He's never really linked himself with athletics this much. It, uh, it will. I'll, I'll go, I'll go so far as to say it will not take down Crow. Um, uh, you know, he's, the, the, the power structure here feels different than some other places. So you're probably right. Yeah, I mean, Michael Crow has created the New American University, which is the leader in innovation. So, <laughs> so I've heard. Yeah, so, Walton's mentioned that a time or two on yeah. air. So I feel like Michael Crow is making his bed somewhere else. He will very likely. What will happen is Michael Crow will push Ray Anderson off the boat and say, "I made a big mistake. My apologies. I'll bring in somebody else to do it differently." Um, you know. But then you ask the question, I mean, we, we ask this a lot, you know, ADs, how many coaches do you get to hire? How many ADs do you get to hire? Michael Crow has hired three already. Lisa Love uh, to replace Gene Smith. That was a disaster. Steve Patterson to replace her. That wasn't great. I mean, oh. He did okay, but he, he burned a lot of bridges. He burned a lot of bridges, but he is the one who was the driving force behind a lot of positive change. He was. He was. Um, not a great people person and wasn't here long enough to really judge like his hire. He wasn't here that long. No, he, but he, he, he was, was good at – he got the baseline financing for a lot of the athletics he did. upgrades. He did. I agree. Yeah. You know, um, 
they're not terrible, but then he left for Texas quickly, and my God, was he terrible at Texas. Now, that doesn't reflect on Crow, but nonetheless, it was bad. Um, and, and then, you know, Ray Anderson, who I don't want to say is a disaster. He's, he's not at this point, but he could go down that way. And so if it is, if this is a disaster, um, you know, then, then Crow would basically be batting one for three. And that's not great. I mean, this ain't baseball. I look for a better success rate than that. Well, the other thing, though, is how you and I judge success is probably not the way Crow is going to judge success. It's probably not. And, and, probably, no, and right. for all the things I said about how Patterson laid the groundwork, Crow got the stadium renovated. Crow got weather up renovated. Crow got yeah. the baseball team into Phoenix Muni. Um, yeah. You know, so Crow is going to take credit for all of these things and say, look, the state of the program is fine. The coaching hires that Ray Anderson yeah. made are bad. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know that you know, Wells Fargo Arena is next. I mean, they're gonna renovate is. that. So there are there are these grand plans, you know, which I'm curious how much of them actually happen. Obviously, the football stadium is is happening, has happened already. Some, um, you know, and and that's great. You know, it's it's a what we've seen that's been done is really nice. That north end is cool. The facility's cool. Um, you know, it's great. The Baseball, yeah, baseball did go to Phoenix Muni, but let's not forget they weren't supposed to go to Phoenix Muni. They were supposed to share the Cubs place until that blew up in ASU's face when the you know Cubs didn't want to bow to their wills. So they ended up a, a secondhand tenant at Phoenix Muni, taking the leftovers of the city basically. Um, you know, basketball will be interesting. Yeah, let's let's see if they can get it done. You know, because because Wells Fargo does need work. Um, Although he so got he got weather up built too. Don't forget about he did, that. He did agree. Yeah, I mean. I'm not trying to rip the guy, just, you know, and there's, there's these grand plans for, you know, getting rid of Karsten and building all this stuff and moving the football practice facility to north of the stadium. How much of that actually is going to happen? I'm not sure. Um, you know, we've, we've heard this for years and years. Karsten's still there. Sun Angel is still there. Um, Packard is still there, even though it's used as a construction parking lot. It's still standing. So this, you know, we're going to develop all this stuff. It hasn't quite happened the way it was supposed to. Do you think that we could get home plate from Packard? Like, do you think that it's we could gone just now? Packard, quite honestly, is depressing and sad. I hate to say it. I love Packard Stadium. Um, you know, it's it's cool that it's still there because for somebody like me who has a lot of memories there, I like driving by and seeing the building. But then I look out, you know, from from where I work now, I you know up high, I can see down into it, and it's depressing. It's just a pile of dirt with you know trucks. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of sad what it's become because that place was a kind of a magical place for ASU. And like I said, now it's used as a parking lot. Yeah. Progress happened to all that stuff. I would love to get home plate to answer your question. Who knows where all that stuff is probably in a, you know, storage room somewhere. It's probably wherever they kept the territorial cup for seven decades. Probably, probably. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't know. It's just. It's kind of it's it's eerie. It's kind of a weird place because part of it is like stuck in time. The banners that were up during the last year are still there, um, and it's been four years since the team moved. You know, you look at it from the outside, and it looks. I mean, it looks like it could still be a stadium. You know, the, the sign is still up, the gates are still there, and then you go around the side, and you see it's just a big you know pile of rubble basically inside where. You know, they just park trucks that, you know, are part of the construction for the football stadium. It's just weird. It's kind of a weird place to see every day. Yeah, no kidding. Well, that that puts sort of a, 
a bow on the football season. We got one more game <laughs> against NC State in the yeah, Sun Bowl. Uh, we'll yeah, preview yeah. that. Um, I I'm gonna pick us to win. It's in my nature to be optimistic. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, as you know from our bowl picks, I am probably not. Um, you know, I could change my pick on the record, but certainly in the in the picks, I'm sticking with what I got. I, uh, I don't like our chances, but maybe we'll come out fired up to play for Todd Graham. I hope so. You know, it would be a nice send-off for him. He he did a lot of good things here, and, and that's why it's hard in some ways to send him packing because there's some goodwill that he has here, unlike Dirk and unlike Dennis. Um, you know, it, it kind of is weird. You know, I read the story about it. it was his last practice in Tempe yesterday, and kind of felt strange. Uh, I didn't feel that way when I read it was Erickson's or Cutter's, but... This one's different. Yeah. Well, hopefully they can send him out with a win. I, I still, I'm going to say there's a five percent chance that Todd Graham's back on the coaching staff next year for ASU. <laughs> I'm not saying it's likely, but I'm saying that one out of twenty scenarios involves him having to come back. Uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, I mean, you know, never say never, given what's happened the last few weeks. I guess I think it's unlikely, but. Uh, as I said before in this conversation, everything about this has been weird. So, you know, that would just be the latest chapter. Well, Matt and I will be back. We'll try to fit one of these in uh, before the holidays. But if not, we hope everyone listening has a, a very Merry Christmas or is in the midst of a Happy Hanukkah or is going to be celebrating a, a festive Kwanzaa or is just enjoying winter and uh, is choosing to enjoy the winter weather. Whatever whatever you want, we hope it's good for you. How about That's that? That's right. Uh, but until next time, he's Matt. I'm Ben. It's the Ben and Matt Sportscast.